Amen. 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 Well, listen, this morning, uh, we're going to wrap up our current series called Foundations. This is the, yay, I say, the 10th part, and we are finally closing this joker out, okay? So listen, uh, the purpose of the series has been simply to do this, uh, to revisit and to reinforce the foundational teachings that we already believe, right, that we already believe uh, from the Bible, that we believe as Christians. And uh, let me just throw this one plug in there. If you haven't had a chance to listen to all of them, if you haven't had a chance to be here physically, I'd encourage you to go check out the podcast, okay? So listen, as most of you guys know, over the post, uh, past few weeks, we've intentionally looked at each of these foundational teachings that the writer uh, basically wrote out for us in Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to look at that verse one more time. And if you're tired of seeing this verse, it means you're just now starting to get it. So we're doing good. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and this is the list of the foundational teachings that Christ gave us, okay? It says this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, elementary teachings, the elementary doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection or let us grow on to maturity. Somebody say maturity. And this has not laid again the foundation of these six things. The foundation of repentance from dead works, the foundation of faith towards God, the foundation of baptisms, the foundation of laying on of hands, the foundation of resurrection of the dead, and foundation of eternal judgments. So if you can, let's hit the pause button here for a second. I want to sit there and just kind of bring one more thing to our attention. I said this a few weeks ago, but I feel like I need to say it again. I want us to notice, basically, on that list right there, one through six, basically, God is, is an intentional God. And so when he gives a list to us in the Bible, a lot of times there's, there's, an, uh, there's an intentionality uh, behind the order of the list. And if you notice, uh, there is an intentional progression to this list. In fact, I believe the reason that Jesus calls this list foundational is because it basically shows us the overarching, uh, basically, lifespan of a believer. It shows our spiritual life literally from beginning to end. And so if you don't mind, let, let's look at it one again, once again, and we'll walk through it. But if you notice there, uh, basically, where do we start? All of us in this room, if you've ever made Jesus Lord of your life, you started at a place of repentance. Amen? And literally, that we repented of our sins. And, and literally, if you can almost say it like this way, that we repented of our sins. And then there came a time, guess what? We put our faith in God. And the Bible calls those two things. It calls our salvation experience. Amen? So then the next one there is baptisms. A lot of people just uh, think that in a singular form. But it's actually plural because God's trying to tell us something. So once again, it is, it is we uh, repent of our sins. We put our faith in God. And the Bible says that when we do that, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the Holy Spirit comes and he baptizes us or he immerses us into the body of Christ. Now, the two other baptisms that the Bible talks about, uh, they happen, and they can happen in either order, but, but it is Bible, so we're going to give it to you. So basically, once again, repent, have faith, baptize in the body of Christ, and then we take this time where we're this next step where we are baptized in the water. And the Bible says that that is a uh, simple form, that that's a public, public proclamation of our faith. And then the next baptism that we can have is different where the first one, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into, into uh, the body of Christ. This baptism is where Jesus... Jesus comes, it says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, that Jesus comes and he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and fire. Are you all with me? And then if you notice the next thing there where it says laying on of hands, what is that? What is this thing called laying on of hands? This is where basically where you and I, uh, someone comes and prays for us and we are, guess what? We are anointed and released into our God-given purpose. Another way to look at that is in this spot, this is where we spend the majority of our life. This is where we fulfill our redemptive calling. In other words, this is where we live out what God has called us to live. Amen? And uh, this is where we put it in action, what we believe, what we know. And guess what? There's going to come a, die, a time where either uh, Jesus comes back 
that or we die. And that's when we do the next step there. It's number five. And we are absent from the body, which means to be present with the Lord. And guess what? That we are literally, we're resurrected of the dead there. That we step into eternity. And then the last one there is eternal judgments, which means basically this, that we as believers will stand for the judgment seat of Christ and, and we'll receive our rewards. Right? So watch this. So we repent of our sins. We have faith in God. We're baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized in the water. We're baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now we're sent out to do what God's called us to do. And then we die. <laughs> and, and, and then we stand before Jesus. We step in eternity. And then we get our rewards. Are you guys seeing that? So there's an intentional progression here. It's this overarching thing. And I believe the, the reason Jesus put that in there is because he wants us to see basically... Um, you know, what he basically, he wants us to not be confused. I'll say it that way. He doesn't want us to be confused about what our life looks like in him. But I also believe he gave us those things like that. So why? So that we would be prepared. Is that not so true? That we would be prepared. Amen. So, all right. So hit the play button. Let's go into today. Here we go. All right. So a few weeks ago, I told you this. I told you that we were going to take the last two on that list, which is resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. We're going to condense it into one subject, and that subject is this. It is eternity. Can somebody say eternity? eternity. Awesome. It is eternity. So uh, I don't know about you, but in my experience, when the subject eternity comes up, I'm blown away by how many people say that they believe in an afterlife. Uh, but when you start talking to them, basically you find out that their, uh, that their version or their path to their afterlife is typically defined or based off of their own choices. It's based off their own standard. Are, are you with me? Anybody ever seen that? It, it's, it's almost like this. This may sound really cheesy to say it this way, but it's like their standard's really convenient. It's like, it's like if your name's not Hitler or Osama bin Laden, you go to a happy place, Right? And so, you know, listen, it's this crazy part, but this may sound great in theory, and it probably sounds really good in some philosophy class that we took at one time, but it's not reality, right? As Christians, we understand that God, the creator of the universe, right, that he is ruling a kingdom and not a democracy. He is running a kingdom, not a democracy. And it's simply this, that in this kingdom, we don't have a say-so in the standard by which people, including ourselves, will be judged by, uh, nor do we get a vote in who goes where. Isn't that true? See, in other words, it's simply this, that there's no such thing as a person's path or person's version of eternity. There's only God's. we got to get that. There's only God's. Because TV will tell you a whole lot of things that's not right. And I'm going here to tell you that there's a lot of churches that are going to tell you what's not right. Is that all right? So you better, we, we better, we better look at the Word and learn to listen to the Holy Ghost so we can find out what's right. Amen? So, one more time, I know I've said it, this will be the third time I've said it, and I'm doing it intentionally on purpose, uh, but Noah, Abby, come up, come up front for me, one on each side. I want to keep saying this because I want us to get it. You picked the right side, brother. All right, so listen, Matthew 25, 31 through 33 says this. It says this, this is where Jesus tells how all this is going to go down. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, it says, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep. Who do the sheep represent? Somebody say believers. It says at his right hand and the goats or the unbelievers will be at his left hand. All right. Now grab a hold of this picture again. When you and I die, we're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus only, and Jesus will judge us, right? And that judge, once again, doesn't mean he's going to drop a hammer on this. It simply means that he is going to uh, do an investigation of our lives. And the first part, when he gathers the nations to him, the first part that he's going to investigate of our lives is he's going to ask this question, is what do we do with the gospel? 
What did we do with the gospel? Did we believe it or did we not believe it? And by believe it, I don't mean that there's some mental thing that's there, but I mean that there's some action to our faith, that we grabbed a hold of God with everything that's in us and we ran with it. Amen? Are you all with me today? That we surrender to that thing. So listen, basically when, when that happens, basically when he finds out what we did with or not, uh, that will determine how he will divide us into two groups. He's going to divide us into two groups. And the reason he's going to divide us into two groups is because we're judged differently. In fact, let me show you this verse out of Genesis chapter 18. I love this verse. There we go. We delayed for uh, just a, a, you know, what was that, for impact, right, or whatever, okay? All right, so here we go. It says, uh, talking about God here, it says, Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous alone with the wicked says, why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Do you get that? So the reason he divides us is because we as believers are not going to be judged like these people. Aren't you glad? It's a great place to say amen, right? So listen, let's look at what happens with the group on his left. You're right. But Jesus called these people those people. He called them goats, okay? And they represent unbelievers, okay? I love you. Listen, because their names are not found in the book of life, they will stand before the great white throne of judgment. And this is where the second phase of the investigation uh, begins. This is where Jesus will begin to investigate basically how these people, or somebody say how, how these people live their lives. And basically in this investigation, these people will give an account for their actions, their words, their motives, their secret thoughts, and even the intentions of their heart. Now, the outcome of this investigation will determine the degree, the measure, the severity, however you want to word it, of the uh, punishment that they will endure for eternity. If you can look at it this way, and I'm not saying that this is uh, an accurate theological picture, but, but it gives us a way to see it. It's almost like it determines what level of hell that they will basically reside in for eternity. You'll follow me. Okay. So now, um, let me read this verse to you. Basically, their ultimate punishment, we all know, is hell, because the Bible says this in verse 46. It says, and they, talking about the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, once again, which is hell. And obviously, we spent two weeks ago, we spent the whole service talking about that place, okay? So let's turn our attention to the group on the right. Good job, Noah. Um, basically, these guys are called the sheep, and who do sheep represent? Believers. Believers. Some of y'all are so scared to talk to me. I love it. Stay in the library, y'all. It's hard. It's interactive. All right, here we go. So it's believers. Somebody say believers. believers. Listen, because their names are found in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this here, too, is there will be a second phase of the investigation that will begin to take place. And once again, that investigation is very similar to this one. It's based off of how they live their lives. And once again, it's still, uh, you know, of our actions, off our words, off our uh, tensions of our heart, our motives. All those things are going to happen there. Basically, it's, what, it's this. It's what we did with the gospel that we believed in, right? Did we influence people? How do we influence? What do we do with the call of God that God placed on our lives? What do we do with the purpose that God put in our life? And so that right there... Thankfully, it's not, it's not going to be a, um, a judgment of condemnation because Jesus already handed that on the cross. But, but what it is is God's going to investigate all those areas, and it's going to determine, once again, the degree of the measure of the rewards that we as believers uh, basically will enjoy for eternity. Are you all following me? So obviously we all know the ultimate reward uh, is heaven because the Bible says, once again, in Psalms 46, Psalms verse 46, where Psalms came from, says, And they, goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, or the sheep, will go into eternal life. We know eternal life is where? It's in heaven. Is that true? Yes. All right. 
So, like I said, two weeks ago we focused on hell. Today we're going to turn our attention and we're going to focus on heaven. And my hope is, is that this will bring some clarity and, and this will also bring some encouragement. I, I asked a, a young guy the other day, I said, hey, what does the Bible uh, say about heaven? And here's what he said, uh, it's amazing. The Bible says a little bit more than that. <laughs> All right. So, so anyways, we're, we're going to hopefully clarify that if you just simply say that amazing. But uh, as we step into this, what I want to do is I want to give you a thought. I want to give you a verse, and I want to give you a testimony, and then I'm going to give you six things that characterize heaven. Okay? So I'm going to give you a thought, a verse, and I'm going to give you a testimony. You guys did amazing. You did great. Welcome home from school. All right. Here we go. Man, that was that's a talent. That's a talent. <laughs> You're going places, kid. I'm telling you, I believe in you. All right, so the first place, let me give you the thought here, okay? It's, um, I believe it's very important that we solidify in our hearts that just as hell is a real place where a real people will spend a real eternity, heaven is too. Heaven is a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. It's a great place to say amen. Listen, heaven is not fake, it's not a fantasy, it's not some starry-eyed dream, it's not a, it's not a, a pie-in-the-sky idea where people are, uh, are like George Burns, you remember that, floating on the clouds, smoking a cigar, right? Y'all remember that? I don't, somebody in my family used to watch that show, and I just got this memory of him sitting on that, yeah, anyways, I don't, I don't even know what show that was from. But anyways, that ain't heaven, all right? And I said ain't because it's from Bama, that ain't heaven, all right? So listen, and heaven is not some uh, made-up, uh, you know, idea to give Christians a false hope. It's not. So, so if you can grab a hold of this, that heaven is the eternal home of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Man, that heaven is the eternal home of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Listen, because of that truth, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve. Get that. We want you to know what's going to happen with us. He says, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Somebody say hope. Jesus clearly saying here, guess what? That we're people that have hope. Aren't you glad? Amen. Man, I'm so glad we have a hope. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't really know what hope means, hope in its truest, truest form simply means this. It means an eager anticipation of what is to come. An eager anticipation of what is to come. And so today, we're talking about our hope. We're talking about a promise that God's given us. We're talking about what's to come. We're really talking about our futures. Amen? Amen. All right, so let me give you the testimony. Here we go. Um, I, let me maybe set this up with this. I, I try my best, I've told you this before, that when I share testimonies with you, that, that I, I don't want it to be something that is shared, and uh, later we find out that it's not right. So I try to find really good sources, really good people that I trust. And so, you know, and a lot of times in this, I try to find people that I personally know that's connected with the next person. And so this would be one of those that I know basically who actually wrote this. And uh, Pastor Josiah knows, and there's several people here that know him, that we know this individual. So this is a very reliable source, okay? So basically, here's the testimony. It, uh, it, this happened in October 1979. I was a year old. It's a good thing. 1979. So here's this guy. His name is uh, Tom Slayton. He, he's a pastor now, but, but this was actually his first day into ministry. So this is the first day that he transitioned from being a deputy sheriff into being uh, basically being a pastor. And this is what happened. He came home one night uh, from a meeting, and when he walked in the front door, he found his wife uh, crouching down in the staircase, and she was just weeping uncontrollably. 
And uh, basically, he immediately, immediately knew something was wrong, and he quickly found out this, that his, that his 10-year-old son, Tommy, uh, decided to take a, a small TV with him to the bathroom so he could watch football while he was bathing. And, and while he was bathing, uh, he accidentally pulled the TV into the tub with him, and it electrocuted him, and obviously it killed him. And so basically the pastor went from his wife in hysterical wreck, uh, runs to where his son is, and he finds his son. He has no pulse. His flesh was cold, and it was blue. And uh, it said that his eyes uh, were fully dilated. And because he was a deputy sheriff that had received uh, paramedic training and first aid and all that stuff, he he knew that that meant that basically that that there was no brain activity happening in his son. And so... uh, as the story goes, it just says this. Thankfully, Tom knew the power of prayer. Uh, so he started praying, and he started doing CPR on his son. And uh, a few minutes later, it says that the paramedics arrived. And so he backed off, kind of let the professionals handle it. And they were doing CPR on this kid, and he just sat in the back. And he was praying, he was praying, he was praying. And after 45 minutes, they, had, they were unsuccessful uh, in bringing Tommy back to life. So the, the entire time, the EKG uh, machine simply uh, just flatlined the entire time. And so... Uh, you know, after 45 minutes of the paramedics doing all this, obviously they're frustrated. They think he's crazy because he's in the back praying and won't let him quit. And, uh, and he finally basically gets to his wits end and he prays this. He says, Father, I don't have any more faith. I've exhausted mine, but I know in your word you speak of another faith. Now, we know if we've studied the Bible, the other faith he's talking about is the gift of faith. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But Tom said this. He said that at that moment... He felt something like a hand on the top of his head. And once he did, he sensed a very strong force and authority rise up from within his spirit. And he shouted at his son, you will live and you will not die in Jesus' name. Now watch this. When he screamed that, uh, all of a sudden the EKG machine started beeping. And uh, so here comes, uh, you know, a pulse basically begin to appear. When the pulse appeared, the paramedics hopped up. Now they're going to work right now. You know, they're, they're actually completely changed. And uh, so by the time they got... Uh, Tommy, 10-year-old boy, from basically the, the room he was in to the, to the, uh, the ambulance, uh, you know, his color had already, you know, basically turned from blue to pink. His eyes were fully restored, and his body was beginning to get warm. But, but uh, Tom and the pastor, in his excitement, what, what he, what he uh, didn't realize is basically that they were about to step into the biggest fight of their life in that moment because even though he came back, he went into a coma. And, uh, and so basically they said when they got him to the the, the doctor, they realized as they were examining him, something was really wrong, clearly, uh, because they discovered uh, kidney tissue coming out of his catheter, which basically meant really layman's term that the inside of him had been melted, right? It had been, it had been, there was a meltdown inside. And, and so uh, the doctors, you know, as they all do, they, they don't give a whole lot of hope, right? Um, and they basically said this, look, if, you're, if your son survives, uh, he's going to be nothing more than a, ve- a vegetable, and his social uh, basic capabilities will be that of a three-month-old baby. So to make a really, really long story short, um, basically seven months later, after praying and refusing not to give up, Tommy came out of the coma. And, uh, and three days later, he was released, okay, or three days after being released. Maybe say it that way. And uh, basically, they're sitting there, and they're released, and I'm, I'm assuming that they were at home. And uh, basically, the pastor, Pastor Tom, uh, looked, and he saw his son's face glowing. And, and he asked me, he said, what's going on, Tommy? And here's what Tommy's reply was. This is the reason I'm reading all this. He said, Dad, I've been with Jesus. He said, when the TV hit the bathtub, I didn't feel a thing. He said, a huge angel grabbed me by the arm and took me right out of my body. He said, we flew through a tunnel really fast, and we landed on one of the streets in heaven. 
And he says uh, he went on to tell his dad that the streets were made of pure gold and you could actually see through them, that they were transparent. And then Tommy began to share about the, uh, the first people that greeted him. He literally said that there was uh, relatives. I mean, let me get this right here, that there was relatives who had died. And, uh, and what he did is he began to name each of them. And some of them he had never met before in his life, but his parents knew who they were because they died before he was ever born. And uh, it's kind of a cool part here. I'll tag on uh, another lady. So, this, so he lands there. Family greets him, and then there's this other lady named Phyllis that walks up, and, uh, and he recognized Phyllis because Phyllis was one of his neighbors that his mom led to the Lord a month earlier. And uh, she literally prayed the prayer of salvation, and two weeks after they prayed that prayer, she died. And so, so it's the family and Phyllis sitting there, and while they're all talking and greeting Tommy, uh, the group separated, and Jesus was standing there. And, uh, and Jesus basically began to give Tommy a tour of heaven, and it says that uh, there's many streets, many buildings. That was a really big old place. And, uh, and it says, this I think it's kind of cool, that the flowers and the grass, even the rocks were all alive and singing in harmony as they were praising God. And uh, it said, he said this, that if you stepped on the grass or a flower, it wouldn't crush, but immediately it would rebound to its previous position. Um, and then he said this, hey, in those colors, we've heard this. This is the common themes of many people that have had these experiences, but uh, that he saw colors, basically, that were super bright, vibrant, even colors that he had, that he had uh, never seen before. Now, get this. Uh, so he's enjoying this moment with Jesus, and then, and then Jesus laid the bomb on him and said, and said hey, you've got to go back. And um, just as you've read with everybody, they don't ever want to go back, right? And so Jesus took him to this veil, and he pulled back this veil. And, and I want to get this right. He said this. He said, he said uh, basically, Tommy could see his father calling him back. And Jesus then said, he is your father, and he has the authority to call you back. Powerful. So Tommy, basically, that's when he came out. Came out. That's when he came back, right? When he called him, screamed his name, said, you would live and not die. Now, here's what's so cool, because in case you're wondering, because if you're like me, you would. Uh, t- Tommy, Tommy basically grew up, graduated high school, graduated UCLA, graduated Bible school, all with honors, married, got kids, totally healthy. Jesus completely restored him. Now, now so I'm reading this story not so much, um, you know, for, you know, here's a, a person that was dead and came back to life. Uh, you, you know, obviously he, he was dead, dead, right? And uh, yes, so there's healing. Yes, there's restoration. But the reason I'm reading is because I want us to catch the reality of our hope, the reality of what's, uh, what's ahead of us, the reality of our future. Because so often, guess what? We, we see here, and inside of so many of us, there's the fear of death. But Jesus said he conquered fear of death. Amen. He conquered death in the grave. And so we as believers do not need to fear because guess what? That is the other side. Even as Paul said, uh, man, it is better to go. But because of you, I stay. Right? And, and one thing I love about this story is Tommy, as he grew up, he made his dad promise him. He said, Dad, if I ever die again, do not pray me back. <laughs> I love that. So, because why? Because the Bible clearly says it is a better place. Amen? Amen. So, listen, today, as I give you these six characteristics, I, you know, I fully realize, man, that this sermon is not going to scratch the surface, that there's things there we're not even going to have a clue about until we get there. And, uh, but even though we, you know, really don't have a clue, the Bible does reveal to us uh, a few things that give us a really great introduction, okay? So I'm going to talk fast, and, uh, and if you're taking notes, write this down. And as I always tell you, if you're not taking notes, write this down, all right? It's always good to take notes in, in church, because so you can go back later and see them. You guys ready? So let me give you six characteristics of heaven. So, number one, the Bible describes heaven as a prepared place. 
This is huge. A prepared place. Matthew 25, 34 says this. It says, Then the king, talking about Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, that's us, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit, receive, partake in the kingdom prepared for you. From when? From the foundation of the world. That's good news. Listen, probably the favorite part about this verse to me is, is how it allows us to see the glimpse of the heart of God. And what I mean by that is this, is if you remember, uh, one of the things we mentioned two weeks ago when we were talking about hell is how many people get so bent out of shape and they begin to argue and fight about with people that say, uh, why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, first of all, we, as we said the other day, Jesus said that hell wasn't made for people. It was made for the devil and the demons. Isn't that right? But right here is trying to show you what Jesus is trying to show you is here is the place that was originally designed for every person. It's heaven. Amen? That literally, why would he say that I wish none would perish? Because he has prepared this place for us. That's good news. Amen? So, number two, heaven is this. Heaven is a personal place. This is beautiful. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. And this is uh, the night before his crucifixion. So, obviously, they're, they're in turmoil. They, they, you know, Jesus has been telling them, hey, i got to go. And, and so, Jesus says this to calm their heart. He says this in John 14, 1 through 3. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Get this. Here's the whole reason we're reading this. I go to prepare a place for who? For you. Get this. And if I go and prepare a place for you... I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, I believe the reason that Jesus shows this distinct word of you is because it removes this idea of heaven being this, just this almost untouchable place, right? Just this huge, massive, grand, glorious place. And it, and it makes heaven this warm, personal, inviting place of encounter with God. If I can maybe say it this way, it's almost like, uh, and this is probably a really poor way to give you this analogy, but it's the only thing I can think of. It's almost like this big, um, like this big massive, we'll, we'll say it this way, like a, like a big shopping mall having a grand opening, right? It's almost like comparing that big grand opening to having someone actually walk up to you and give you a personal, intimate invitation to their home. Are you following me? That they's just not saying, here's this big thing, big flash of lights, come see me. No, no, it's really personal. He, to, to understand that Jesus is saying, look, I created this with you in mind. I designed it with you in mind individually. Are y'all seeing that? Third thing, heaven is a, this is so good, it's a permanent place. It's a permanent place. Let me give you a few thoughts here. Just as hell is a permanent place, so is heaven. <laughs> Remember, according to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 6, it says this. It says in the last one, the sixth thing that's on the list, it says eternal judgments, eternal decisions. So when Jesus begins to investigate our lives and he decides where we're going to go, that decision is final. I know that seems so elementary, but I feel like it needs to be said. But, but basically this, Revelation 22 says this. It tells us that those who go to heaven will reign forever and ever. Quote a verse everybody knows in the room. For most part, Jesus said this in John three sixteen: Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting life. And we know this because we read a while ago in John 14, 3. It says, Jesus says, that where I am, there you may be also. 
So simple question, really elementary. How long will Jesus be there? So will we. Good news, huh? That he is saying this today, saying this. Man, did you get to hang out with me for eternity? That's awesome. Number four. It's getting better. Number four. Heaven is a place of presence. It's a place of presence. Revelation 21.3 says this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle. Somebody say the tabernacle. It says the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his disciples. God himself will be with them and be their God. Get the picture here. Don't miss it. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was actually a physical structure that they hauled around with them everywhere, right? And that physical uh, structure represented the presence of God. But what Jesus is telling us here in heaven, there's no need for a tabernacle, physical structure to be hauled around because God has already physically tabernacled with us. So heaven is this. Heaven is full of God's presence. And, and if you can kind of maybe think about it this way, uh, that, that uh, there will never be a time in heaven where you're not aware of his presence. You, you know, the best thing, you know, whatever, when I was preparing all this, this came to my mind. I've shared this with you guys before, but, but uh, I think, so Michaela's 10 now. I think she was probably, she's about seven years old. So let's say three years ago, probably a year before we moved here. Um, I went through, man, just appeared to just a really dry season in my walk with God. I was worshiping. I was praying. And, you know, I was doing what we know how to do. But there's just times in our walk with God that it just gets dry. And, and the reason is because it's an invitation to come deeper with God. Right? He's just, he's just teaching us. He teaches us not how to depend on feelings, all of that and that. And so, anyways, I went through a few months where, where uh, we, we would be in church and, and man, just... God would be all up in the joint. Everybody would be responding. I would be giving it my best. I'm like, man, I don't feel a thing. I still gave my best, but I didn't feel nothing. It's key to learn that because my worship isn't based off a of feeling. Amen? So, so anyway, so I was sitting there one day, and, and you know, once again, like, like we have all the time, I, I tell you the exact song that was playing. It was Worship Mob, Climbed This Mountain. It, it, was, on the, it was on our TV down in our, in our family room because I'm not allowed to have a man room. And so, anyway, so it was... I prefer him. So I really don't. I'd rather hang out with you any day. So, so anyway, so it's playing on the TV. And, and in that room, basically, the way we had it divided, um, I, I was over there separating laundry, being a really good husband. Right? So, so, so that's playing. And, and I have felt God. And I'm talking about a while. And it was just like, Phew. so I'm over there, you know, the whole uh, bright, white, black and gray, you know, doing the deal. Right? It, stop. We have, by the way, in our in our house, we have a we have a um, we di- we have a disagreement how laundry should be separated. Just say no. So, I'm separating what I like to call the right way, and uh, so I love you. Babe. So, anyways, so I'm doing this. I'm just separating. And I remember being crunched down like this, separating laundry, right? And uh, and I went, he's here. And I looked up like this. I looked over our little counter we had there. And, and my daughter is, she's a little skinnier than me. But anyway, so she's like this on the floor, seven years old. I can't really bend like that now. But anyway, she's like this. So she's like that on the ground, right? And I'm like, I, you know, nobody ever said, hey, Michaela, let's worship. No, she recognized he was there. That was really good proof he was really there, Right? 
Are y'all with me? So, you know, in that moment, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, going from where you at to boom, there you are. To understand in the boom, there you are is how we'll live for eternity. Yeah, is that, is that you'll never be able to escape that moment of, man, he's here. You get, y'all understand what I'm saying with that? Because what happens in life is we get so distracted with so many things, and then we finally turn and go, okay, God, i got to have you. And there's this struggle, and he finally, okay, there he is. Whew. But, but in heaven, there is no struggle. You, you know, he, he's just there. It's good, right? So um, let me give you an extra thought here. Revelation twenty one twenty three says this. It says, The city, come at heaven, had no need of the sun or of the moon, to shine in it, for the visible glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So heaven is full of God's glory. That's really so. That one thing that was resting on uh, old Moses, man, it's everywhere. All right. So if I could give you a sub point under this, okay? Uh, the sub point would be this: it'd be that heaven is a joyful place. The heaven is a joyful place. That's why church should be pretty fun. Right? Your kingdom comes. You will be, right? It should be a really good place. Because the Bible says this in Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence, that word presence actually means in your face, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's pretty good, right? Because God's presence is everywhere. Man, it's, it's, it's people are just happy. Okay? They're happy. It's a joyful place. Here we go. Um, maybe say it this way. Uh, one of the most common ways to recognize uh, that God's in a place, in other words, the evidence, the proof that God's somewhere is because of this one word. It's called peace. It's called peace, right? You all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like, man, just things have been going on. It's like if you've ever been in your prayer closet where you just feel stressed out, and then you get in there and start praying, it's like, man, in your mind, your heart, just, man. It's once again, here's why, because the Prince of Peace just walked in the room, right? So with that in mind, this last, uh, or the fifth one here, that heaven is a, peaceful place. The heaven is a peaceful place. I'm going to read, I'm going to read a, 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 a verse to you that's typically just read in funerals, but it wasn't meant to be a funeral one. <laughs> but here's our hope, okay? Revelation 21, 4. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Sounds pretty good, huh? It says, There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, all of these things are gone forever. So get this, that all past suffering is gone, that sin's gone, the consequences of sin is gone, sickness is gone, and all of that being gone makes it a really peaceful place. If you take a second and look at what robs your peace all the time, it's not there, right? There is perfect unity in heaven. Amen. So thank God there'll be no more conflict with people. Y'all scared to say amen, but this person sitting next to you, you, you trying to get peace from. Anyways, all right, right there. All right, listen, I'm playing. If I give you a sub point under this, okay, because it's a peaceful place, uh, heaven is a place of rest. Heaven is a place of rest. We're almost done. Revelation 14, 13 says this. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, so good job hanging in there with me. Revelation fourteen thirteen says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. 
And notice this last part. Don't, don't let it escape. It's not the point here. But it says, and their works follow them. So if you don't really believe that you're going to be judged according to those things, it says it right there that all that's following you. Okay? So grab a hold of that. But, but the word rest here, to stay with the point, rest actually speaks of this. In this meaning, in the Greek language, it means a refreshment, and it means to cease from labor in order to recover strength. So heaven is a place of rest, but it's also a refreshing place. That's good, yeah? All right, last one here. As we can expect, when you look at all of that, uh, number six, heaven is a place of praise. It's a place of praise. Got two lengthy verses I want to read to you here. Revelations 4, 9 through 11 says this. It says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, says that the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him. Somebody say worships him. It says, Who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 7, 9-12 says this. I love this. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations. I love that. Tribes, peoples, and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Did y'all hear that with a loud voice? Did y'all hear that? All right. So, that, so that's not just supposed to be for the patriots. All right, just saying. Saying they may get a victory today. Maybe. They, they look really bad. All right, so salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and did what? They worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now let me give you the, let me give you the best part of all of this, okay? And you can make it a point if you want to. But throw up that next verse there, bro. That's the best part. That's the best part. They will see his face. Think about this with me for a second. In an instant revelation, literally in a moment, the first time we see him, one gaze into his face will instantly see him, will see in him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right. You get that? In that moment, if you can grab a hold of this, that in the face of God we will see the fulfillment of all the longings we have ever had to know perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, and to know truth and justice, holiness and wisdom, goodness and power, and glory and beauty. Isn't that awesome? That literally, that, that all of that, let me say, it says that we now know in part, but then we shall know fully as we are known. <laughs> Amen, right? That's good news. Listen, a lot of people, when they talk about heaven, they get so caught up in streets of gold and everything being made of really fancy jewelry and, and uh, jewels. But anyways, so they focus on heaven's beauty, and that's understandable. But, but once again, the greatest part is we're going to be with him. We're going to worship him, the beauty of his holiness, that we will literally, if you can grab a hold of this, that we will uh, enjoy unhindered worship, unhindered fellowship, unhindered relationship with him for eternity. That's good, right? Stand to your feet if you don't mind. If you stand to your feet. I'm going to share one verse with you here, and we're going to close with a simple prayer.
Can you put that last verse up for me? We're going to end with this. Everything we've said, man, this is powerful. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Read this last part. And his wife, his bride, has made herself ready. That's what we want to do. <laughs> yes. Is that we want to make ourselves ready for that day. L- listen, here's, if you want to know a personal goal for me, a personal goal for me, and I, this is going to sound really foolish to say it this way, but, but, but I, don't want, I don't want my life to have to change. I'm, I'm not giving it real good wording right now. I don't want my worship and my fellowship with God to, to change so drastically when I make the move from here to there. I just want it to be an improvement. You, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like with people with worship, that, that, you know, they're missing such an opportunity here because they don't worship. They do this. I don't, I don't want worship to be a foreign thing when I step into the other side. Right? I don't want, I don't want talking to God to be a, a, such a, an odd thing. It's kind of like this. And this is, this is just a healthy challenge that, that you know, if we're, if we're spending very little time in prayer, man, there's an invitation to hang out with God all the time. So, so let's stretch our time with God. With time with God, and it's not—it's not just for time for time's sake. But, but, but what happens is, is we just rush through it so much we miss the moments with Him. Yes, yes. Fall in love with the Word because He is the Word, right? It, it's kind of like this. I—I I don't love Jesus any more than I love the Bible because they're the same. Y'all following me? It, it, it all this comes back to we. You know, we're talking all these doctrines and all this stuff, but it all just boils down to true relationship. That's it, just relationship. And, and he's made it really simple. Worship me, read the Bible, pray, and everything's going to go all right. That means that, mean that we won't walk through hell occasionally, but it, but it means, though, that we're, we know we're not walking through it alone. Yeah, and, 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 you know, once again, I've said this again and again, but that's the greatest thing. If we as a church could just begin to do those three things individually and corporately, man, holy smokes, it's going to get good. Right? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, today, just in our own hearts, we make a commitment to you just to do what that verse says, to get ourselves ready. God, almost, there is no almost, the, the, the way that a bride would, would adorn herself and prepare uh, herself, God, on her wedding day, Lord, that's how we want to prepare it. God, the way that there's, there's not a detail missed. God, that we want to, that, that just the way that bride wants to be uh, beautiful and, and just pure and holy and all those things and just present themselves in, 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 in their best way uh, for their husband. Lord, we want to present ourselves in that way. So, Lord, today, just help us as your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you're patient with us, that you're merciful with us, that you have tons of grace for us. Uh, but, Lord, we just ask today, God, that you would help us to uh, just make ourselves ready. God, so we can meet with you whenever that day comes. God, we thank you today that we have a hope. God, we thank you today that we have a promise that we'll be with you. And, Lord, we just, uh, we're not in a hurry. We know that you've called us to do great things, but, Lord, we look forward to that day. And, God, we rejoice in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys for coming. Remember those announcements that we said. Remember, if you need to talk to Jake and Tanja, Miss Mel, uh, Miss Cheryl, and uh, also remember if you desire to give something, the box is in the back. If you, uh, if you are here today and you say, man, I need to get right with God, uh, Angelo and Jen and Noah and Nabby uh, will be up here. They'll pray for you if you say, man, I've got to get right with God today or if you need prayer about anything. God bless you guys.